Are you guys excited? Okay, all right, all right. Just make sure you got a pulse. Just, just double checking. It's Sunday morning, everybody. Great day. So we are going to be talking about the word repent. I don't usually get creative with my sermon titles. Um, so I really, no hidden thing here. You know what we're talking about today. So this is going to be awesome. And we're continuing on in Matthew 4, 12 through 17, continuing on from last week. So let's dive into the word and let's see what God has for us today. So in verse 12, it says, when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and he lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah, land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. God, we want to thank you for today. Every single day that we can breathe on this earth is a gift from you. Even in our turmoil, God, even in the worst times of our life, the fact that we still have breath is a blessing from you and it shows we still have purpose. It shows you're not done with us yet and you still have a mission out there. When we think that we don't have a cause, we don't have a purpose, God, it throws shame on your name, Father, because you have us here, every single one, for a reason. God, let it be your word today. Always, always, God. Amen. All right, so as we've seen in the past, as we're going through the book of Matthew, we see these prophecies, okay? Matthew draws special attention to these prophecies. It's not that the other gospels don't, but Matthew, his whole audience were the Jews, remember? So the Jews would know the Old Testament, okay? They would know about these prophecies. Doesn't mean they always grabbed a hold of them, but they would know about them because they would read about them. So Matthew draws his attention, and so what he's really trying to do here is give these Jews these aha moments. These, oh, that's right, I remember reading about that in the book of Isaiah. I remember reading about this history lesson in 2 Kings, which we'll get to. And so he's trying to draw these to say, here it is, guys, that prophecy you're waiting for is here. It's here. Okay, so one of the biggest prophets, Isaiah, this is where the prophecy stems from, as we saw in Matthew. This was prophesied about while Jesus was living in Capernaum. So Matthew draws special attention. It's by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali. Remember those two. He had to draw that point out because, like I said, the Jews would have known Isaiah, and we're actually going to read the book of Isaiah right here, and it's in chapter 9. Now it says this, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And on those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice in the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. 
For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them and the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burn and will be fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. From that time on and forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Will accomplish this. Now, to really grasp all of Isaiah, well, obviously, I would recommend read the whole Bible. Um, but if you go to Isaiah chapter 8, it's going to provide you a lot of good context of where that came from. But I want to break down this prophecy in Isaiah. We're going to do a little bit of a history lesson here as well. But so in Isaiah, in about 734 to 733 BC, there was an invasion by the Assyrians, okay? Now, the whole thing was to bring the nation of Israel into captivity. Now, this is interesting because whenever we would see like an invasion from another country that would come after the Israelites, it usually would be right after they decided to leave God's covering. They would leave his protection. He always promised them protection, but what they would do is through their sin, they would rebel against God and really they would submit themselves even unintentionally, they would submit themselves to the invasions of their enemies. So we see this actually in 2 Kings Chapter 15, let's read here. It says, And he did evil in the sight of the Lord and did not turn away from the sins that Jeroboam, son of Nebat, had caused Israel to commit. In the days of Pekah, king of Israel, Tiglath-Pilizar, king of Assyria, came and captured Lejan. Abel, Mathmachah, Jonoah, Kadesh, Hazor, Gilead, and Gilead. That's a lot of words. <laughs> Including all the land of Naphtali. And he took the people as captives to Assyria. I am not trying to be a Hebrew scholar. I'm not saying I am, okay? That's my American way of saying all of these Hebrew names, all right? So God is saying that this experience, this invasion from the Assyrians actually ended up humbling. It brought these Israelites low. It brought them really to the end of themselves where they're like, we're nothing. They, they realize, okay, it's time we get something right. But it's interesting, God doesn't leave it there. He says, don't worry, redemption is coming. It's coming, okay? There's gonna be gloom. You're gonna be in distress for a while. You're gonna be in darkness, okay? Really, they're reaping the consequences of their sin, but the light is coming. And in Isaiah 9-2, it says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light, on those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Now remember, this was not just a little blip on the radar for the Israelites. This was monumental in their life. They knew something was coming. And then Matthew draws back. Jesus comes on the scene and Matthew writes about this. And you can see how important it would be that Matthew would bring about that prophetic fulfillment. It would, you can see how important it would be to draw back to Isaiah because this was such a huge time in their history and they would know that their ancestors were in captivity and they're somewhere along this timeline. Maybe they're in it. Maybe it's their kids. Maybe it's their kids' kids. There, sometime there is something coming that is called the light and we need to be ready for it. So this light that was prophesied about 
This light would take the people living in darkness, take these Israelites living in darkness, and he would bring them, he, yes, he, the light, would bring them into redemption, bring them into true life, and his name is Jesus. There are so many scriptures that go on about calling Jesus the light. I've even done a sermon about this, about Jesus calling himself the light of the world. Let's, let's dive into a couple here or three, John 8, 12 says, then Jesus again spoke to them saying, here it is, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Luke two thirty two: a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. John 12, 46, I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. These are just a few, and the point is, Jesus is the light. You want to not be in darkness, you follow Jesus, because he is the light. And Matthew is trying to hammer this point home to, his, to the fellow Jews to say, it's time, the light is here, and he's speaking to us today too. And knowing that, what else is amazing is that Galilee is actually where Jesus first starts his ministry. Interesting, we were just talking about Galilee. We were just talking about how the light will come into the darkness. And then Jesus' first part of his ministry starts in Galilee because he didn't start his ministry. If you guys were here about the temptation Jesus went through, he didn't start till after that. He was empowered by the Holy Spirit. And you heard Pastor Steve speak on that last week. And then Jesus goes, is led into Galilee to start his ministry. What amazes me even more is that this darkness ridden, rejected, depressed, outcast society, Jesus would visit them, the light of the world. He's the answer to their prophecy. He comes into the region first to start his ministry, and he comes to the people first. It's that first. God always gives us the first fruits, okay? It's like God doubled down and said, I remembered my promise from hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago. Guess what? Let's get it right now. Jesus, you're going there right away. How amazing. God's not like, yeah, I know I promised that back to you a while ago. I'm going to kind of, you know, kick the can down the road a little bit and we're just going to kind of wait a little bit. Like, no, he's like, it's time. Go. Go to them first. That's a good God. And this region of people in Galilee would be the first people to enjoy the blessings, the life-giving wonder of Jesus. The first part of his ministry and I also love this because if you notice in Isaiah, it says that he will honor the nations. And there's, there's a lot of honor that comes from it, but one part of the honor that I drew from, I think it's amazing, their honor was they got to, as a nation, they got to host the life and the miracles of the King of Kings, the light of the world, the Messiah that they have been waiting for for thousands of years. And they get to host and be the first ones to host his miracle. You put it on a a dumbed-down version, if you get to host the FIFA World Cup, that's a high honor. If you get to host the Super Bowl, that's a high honor in American standards. But what about being the nation to host the king of kings of this whole entire universe, and you get to host him where his miracles and his ministry starts? Is that not amazing? That is too good. God is intentional with every detail, and these prophecies absolutely blow my mind. 
So I want to talk about Jesus as the light. You're like, Jake, I thought we were talking about repentance. Oh, we'll get there. Don't worry. We'll get there. Jesus is the light, all right? Like I said, we've talked about it before. I've said this before. He's not like a light. He's like not like some light, like maybe one of these lights hanging up here, okay? This is a light. No, he is the light of all humanity, not just a light in a building, okay? And anytime that you say the light, you're implying there's others, but they're all inferior, okay? Let's hop into a couple examples. If you're talking in basketball standards, you got to talk about the GOAT, the greatest of all time. That means there's not like a greatest of all time. It's the greatest of all time. Clearly, that's Giannis Antetokounmpo. So either way, when you go to Red Robin, that is the burger, okay? There, no, all other burgers are... <laughs> Red Robin is... You get a burning love. Mm, anybody have a burning love? Come on now. Come on. Yes. Yes. Whip it in some campfire sauce. Get your bottomless fries. Mmm, not a sponsor. <laughs> Nike is the basketball shoe, okay? Big basketball guy here, as you can obviously tell. Nike is like my favorite shoe when it comes to that. It is the basketball shoe. All others are inferior, all right? Caramel M&Ms. That's the M&M. That is the M&M. Do I have any caramel? I even called it right, caramel. M&M's, not caramel, all right? That is the M&M. Move over peanut M&M's. But there are a lot of lights out there. There's a lot of lights. There's a lot of things that people think are the light that really aren't the light. What about things maybe a little more subtle? What about things that are a little less tangible? What about the power that people can put on money? To a lot of people, their money is their light in their own eyes. What about sensual desires? We are a very sensual country. What about all the sensuality? Just you watch a TV commercial for two seconds and somehow perfume has a super provocative man or woman on there that somehow perfume makes you that way. I don't get it. But we are driven by sensual desires. And to a lot of people, that's their light. That is what drives them. That is what they are about. It's all about feel good and do good and I'm happy and that's all that matters. And that is the light that people think because it brings peace and, and everything that is right in their eyes, but it's a lie. What about when we use food to eat away our despair Use food to be our comfort. You've ever heard it called, I want some good comfort food? Now, I'm guilty of saying that for the record, okay? I, I call it good comfort food. But there's also definitely a truth in it. There's a reason why God calls us to fast, because he also puts gluttony and drunkenness in the same context. All of these things can seem like the light, but there is only one light the rest of them are inferior. They're not even lights at all. They are inferior. And the light is Jesus. Set the record straight. The light is Jesus. The rest are imposters. Now let's go into John 1.5. It says this, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. John 12.35-36, then Jesus told them, you are going to have the light just a little while longer. So walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. Whoever walks in the dark does not know where they're going. 
Believe in the light while you have the light so that you may become children of light. And once again, we see a classic example of Jesus calling himself the light. And we read this earlier, but John 12, 46, I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. And John 8, 12 says, then Jesus again spoke to them saying, I'm the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Our very being, everything, our thirst quencher, our fibers, every ounce of you, every hair on your head, it it strives, thrives, longs for Jesus the Messiah. You were actually handmade to want Jesus. Your whole being, this, this whole universe, the rocks, the mountains know who their creator is. The stars know who breathed them into existence. We are meant to have the light but we still get a choice. Second, or excuse me, Colossians 2, 8 through 10 says, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. All the fullness of God is in Jesus. They are one. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. Us. In 2023, if we have given our lives to Christ, we have been brought into fullness in Christ Jesus. And he is the head over every power, over every authority. So in other words, don't get bogged down by these stupid arguments, these hollow philosophies, things that don't matter. Now in this context, the philosophy was that you would be made right with God through all that you can do. It was called works. You do everything right by the law, you're made right with God. That was the context. That was ho- that's hollow philosophy. It's dogma. Okay? It's, it's, it's nothing. It's not pertaining to godliness. And he is saying that don't get caught up in all of these awesome sounding ideologies. Don't get caught up in all these things that the world thinks are so good and all the things you see on the media like, wow, that sounds so awesome. It looks like you really know what you're doing. But yet people get caught up in it. Don't get caught up in it because you know where your fullness is in Christ because why? All of deity is in Christ. It's all found in Jesus. The fullness of God in Christ Jesus. And that is where you reside if you are a follower of Christ. Don't look to the left. Don't look to the right. Don't look for something else or somewhere else to be your light because it's Jesus. He is your light. He made it very straightforward, didn't mince words, clear cut. It's Jesus. Moving on to Matthew 4, 17, it says, from that time on, so this is after the prophecy, after about seeing Jesus is going to be light in the darkness, he then goes, repent. Repent. Why? Because the kingdom of God is near. In other words, the kingdom of God is here because Jesus is the kingdom. He's here. He says, so it's time to repent. We're going to get into that. Repent is a Greek word called metanoeo. Okay? Or metanoia, 
but metanoeo is the Greek word for repent. Now, there's a couple aspects to it because the meta is essentially an after effect, okay? So it's changed after being with, okay? Changed after being with. And noeo is to think properly. To think properly after being with, okay? In other words, it's, it's a change of mind. When you repent of something, you actually change your thought process, which actually there's an outward implication that comes with this Greek word. So you don't just change your mind up here. The change of the mind actually comes out here. But it's got to start here, okay? Now, like I said, it's got an outward implication. And it's interesting because Jesus says, repent for the kingdom of God, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Okay, so what he's saying is now that you know who the light is, now that the light has actually come to you, it's now time to repent. So, Let's talk about repentance a little bit here. I want to put this together in a framework before we get to the next part of the sermon. But I want to hit on just a couple points here just for clarity's sake. Now, the first and foremost, the most important repentance humanity can ever face is repenting from dead works into life. Repenting from death to life. From the kingdom of hell to the kingdom of heaven. To away from Satan and towards Jesus. There is the call for every single person on this earth for that repentance. And that's actually when Jesus starts that right there in that passage to say, let's turn. Okay? So essentially, it's turn from where you were, turn from the darkness you were in, and now go towards the light. And he's saying, hey, I'm right here. Come get me. Let's go. Now, this is the repentance, like I said, that Jesus was talking about. And it's amazing that the prophecy with Matthew alludes to that. He draws to that. And then his call stands for us today. It wasn't just for that people group at that time. His call for us today is if you are not living with him, repent. Why? The kingdom's here. You don't have to wait for it. It's here. It's available. If you hear the spirit knock, don't harden your heart. It's here. It's time. It's go time. Now is the appointed time. Then he says, let's go. But it's interesting because though that is the most important, repentance in its core doesn't just mean turning from sin, but it obviously includes that as we just saw. Remember, repentance is taking on a different thought process to take on a different life, a different method, a different way. Sometimes what we do is we think repentance means forgiveness of sin. Praise God, he forgives us our sin, but that's actually not what the word repentance means. Repentance is, and the sin is more of like a cause and effect. So it's let's take on that mind and then let's turn from our sin, okay? Not necessarily, they're paired together, but not necessarily paired together, if that makes sense, because there's other types of repentance through that. And here's what I would say when it comes to our relationship with Christ. Now, this is more speaking to the believer, whereas just a little while ago is more speaking to the unbeliever. More as the believer, repentance really should be a continual thing. And I'm going to explain that in a sec. You'll see what I mean. And I'm going to give some parameters to what repentance is not. But we always should be keeping this heart of repentance in our relationship with God, okay? So, Let's break this down a little bit here. How I look at that is, what does this look like more practically, Jake? It's more of a heart before God saying, God, every single day, 
I want to learn from you. I want to be like you. If there are ways in my life that are not right, I need you to reveal them to me so I can turn. And it's always, really, the heart is always keeping a sensitive heart so that you can look more and more like Jesus in your everyday walk with Christ. Okay? Now, sometimes that will include turning from sin, even as a believer. But here's what repentance is not. Repentance is not repenting and as a believer, as a believer, repenting is not, I need to get back right with God again. As if like somehow I fell out of right standing with him because I sinned. Jesus, when he died for us, he forgave all of our sins. Past, present, future, all of them. And if we somehow get out of right standing, into right standing, out of right standing, into right standing, that's a sad place to be in, and that's actually where most religions lie, is because it's like, well, I'm good with God, I'm not good with God, I'm good with God, I'm not good with God, and like, I'm out of heaven, I'm into heaven, I'm out of heaven, I'm into heaven. If that's the case, what would happen if I were to say a curse word, I get hit by a car right outside these doors, and I didn't have a time to get it forgiven, does that mean that I'm going to hell? No. Because I am right with God through Christ Jesus. If it's based on me, I'm a goner. I'm done. This is why I need Christ. This is why if I do mess up, when I mess up, mistakes happen. Praise God that he's there for me, that he redeems me, that he forgives me. Okay, but so what I am talking about, because we need to know, as a believer, you are 100% holy in God's eyes. And that is your identity. That is where you stand. What I am more talking about in our actions is what I would say is behavior holiness. There's positional holiness. There's behavior holiness. You are positionally holy before the King of kings and the Lord of lords if you have given your life to Jesus because he is now your holiness. You are hidden with Christ. You are hidden in God with Christ Jesus. You are co-heirs with Jesus and an heir of God. The other thing I want to talk about sin is sin is not repetitive. Excuse me, revamp that. Repentance is not repetitive. Now, it's kind of weird. What do you mean repentance is not repetitive? Because I was literally just talking about how I mentioned about always having a heart of repentance. When you give your life to Christ, A, number one, you need to know you have all the power of sin eliminated in your life. Sin does not have reign over you anymore. It does not have power over you anymore. It's only the power you give it. So we, let me put it this way, who's got kids? Okay, yep, yep, me too. Got a fourth on the way. Have you ever went to your kids and said, hey, if you're really sorry, you're going to stop what you're doing? Anybody? Or was it just my dad that told me that? Okay, all right, so we got a few. Okay, if you're really sorry, Zoe, you'll stop hitting your sister. Okay, if you're, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Okay, but if you really are, then it's gonna lead to a change in direction. Okay, this is what I mean about repentance from sin it is not repetitive. It's not supposed to be, oh, I sinned, I messed up. Okay, repent. Oh, I sinned, I messed up. Okay, I, oh, I you know, and it's the same sin over and over and over. Now, does that entangle us sometimes? yes. Is it supposed to? No. You have, through Jesus Christ, all the power over sin. Actually, we just heard about no sin has, last week, no sin has overtaken you, but what is common to mankind? But Jesus will provide a way out in every situation. 
when we repent, we are meant to get away from that permanently and keep moving forward towards Christ in our behavior holiness. Behavior holiness. Another word you could use is sanctification. We're already justified, but we're being sanctified. Now, if you do sin as a believer, of course you repent. Because I was just talking about, you know, because that's kind of the next follow-up question. is like, well, you're saying I'm already forgiven, so why would I ask for forgiveness? Why would I repent? <laughs> that's a whole other sermon in and of itself. Don't even get me started on that, okay? But just a little snippet here is as a believer, like I said, you are, you are right with God even when you sin. Like God doesn't say once again, oh, sorry, you lost right standing with me. No, you're right with God. Okay, but, and I'll even say as a believer, when I sin, I still ask God for forgiveness, but it's different. When I come to God for forgiveness in my life, it's God, I'm so sorry, forgive me, but in my mind, I know God has already forgiven me before I even asked for forgiveness. And really, when I come to God for forgiveness, it's because I hurt him. Man, I, I, I messed up, and God, I did not do honor to your name, and I am so sorry. But then when you say, God, we forgive me, it's almost like, like your conscience, you put this milestone in your life and say, that was the time that I, I, I took a stand, and I once again got into repentance, and I turned, and I changed my direction. I don't do it so that God will forgive me once I say, God, forgive me, because he already did that when I gave my life to Jesus. But now it's, God, I hurt my father. I hurt my friend. I did not do justice to your name, and I am so sorry and really, it's a cleansing for you. I want to go back to metanoeo, or metanoia. And it has this implication of secondary. It's tense. It's, it, it, usually, it's, it's an after effect. It's interesting. We talk about cause and effect. And there's, metanoeo is not only an effect, but it's also a cause. And I'm going to get to that. But this secondary comes afterwards. In other words, something has to come before repentance. And we saw that in Scripture, and we see it plastered throughout all of Scripture. What am I talking about? In order for a true repentance to come and take place, you need to have the light revealed to you first. The cause is Jesus comes at the, as the light. The effect is there's a repentance, not the other way around. We get this twisted sometimes. We somehow think we were the ones to find God. I came and I found God and I repented. And there's this part that we miss that Jesus says, hey, you wouldn't even be able to do that if I didn't first reveal myself to you. Otherwise, these Israelites, don't you think they would have repented long ago? They needed the light to come to them first before they would repent. And somehow this allows pride to creep in because we're like, I found God. And it's like, yeah, God revealed himself to you and then gave you the ability even to perceive who God was. He's also the one that gave you breath in the lungs, clothes on your back, food on your table, water in your house, a family, friends, a job, money. Oh, hey, your life. So this should not allow pride to creep in. This should be, God, I'm just thankful you revealed yourself to me. Praise God, I'm going to repent, and I'm going to change. Now, I also said repentance was a cause because, once again, repentance from sin is not necessarily 
just just repentance in that framework. There's repentance from sin, but then there's also repentance from things that might not even be sin. It's a turning away. So when you repent, it's I saw the light, I repented, I repented from sin. And then that repentance can also take off other forms. We'll get into that. Every ounce of faith you have in God came from God. So it's interesting. It's kind of like a cycle. Jesus reveals himself to you. It leads you to repentance, which usually will then lead to more, not usually, I take that back, which will lead to more revealing, which hopefully should lead to more repentance, which will lead to more revealing and over and over and over and over. It's Romans 2.4 that says it's God's kindness that leads you to repentance. It's his kindness. Notice how I didn't repent and then I got God's kindness. No, 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 no. God's kindness came first, and then I repented because I saw his glory and I saw who he was. And let's look no further than Paul. Paul gets kicked off his horse. In verse, uh, chapter 9, it says this, Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters for him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, and he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting and it is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And the Lord said to him, arise and go into the city and you will be told what you may do. Paul has an encounter with the light and it leads him to repentance. It leads him to repent from his sins. Paul had an encounter with the light and it led him to repentance. A lot of the Pharisees had an encounter with the light and they did not repent. What's the point? Every single one of us has a crossroads in our life. The light has come, the kingdom of God is here. It's now up to us if we are going to receive the revealing or the revelation of Christ and are we going to repent towards him or are we going to walk away from him? A lot of the Pharisees missed it. Which one are you? I talked a little bit about this cycle and I want to hit on this a little more. There's this thing called the glory of Jesus. And we all, when, when we saw him for the first time and we gave our life to him, we received part of his glory. In, in other words, we, I should say maybe a better way of wording it is we perceived a part of his glory. When we receive him, we receive all of his glory internally through the Holy Spirit. I'm more meant to say we perceive, okay? So we beheld part of his glory, all right? Now, so Jesus comes on. It kind of looks like this. Step one, Jesus comes. He reveals himself to you. I believe every single person here has had Jesus reveal himself to you, and we have no excuse. Number two, you now get the decision, do you repent or do you harden your heart? But it's interesting because Jesus says, draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. So usually if what happens is hopefully it turns into a repentance, and then Jesus reveals more of his glory. Hopefully from there it leads to more repentance, and it gets to more of his glory. And he calls it going glory to glory. I love this in 2 Corinthians 3.18, it says, but we all 
with unveiled faces, looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord, were being transformed. That word transformed comes from the same root word of meta. Repentance is a transformation. We are being transformed, essentially being repented into the same image from glory to glory. That's that glory. That's that revealing. God gives you this this piece of him and you behold his glory. You repent. You want more of him. He brings more of him. You want more. And it's this over cycle and cycle and cycle. And you go from glory to glory to glory. If you are a believer in Christ and you don't know more about Christ and you're 20 years down the road and you don't know a thing more about Christ, you're not going from glory to glory. That's scary. Till the day we die, we go from glory to glory to glory. It's always, God, teach me. God, I need to learn. And that's why I say it's not always just a repentance from sin. It could just be a repentance from things you thought about God that weren't of God or things that just maybe it was a habit in your life that wasn't necessarily a sinful habit, but God's calling you out of it. Or God gives you a new revelation of his word. And it's like, whoa, God, I'm so sorry. I didn't know I missed that. It doesn't necessarily mean you're sin, but now that he's revealed it to you, now you're accountable. Now, it's okay, God, you revealed this to me. Now, if I go against what he says because he holds to a higher accountability, now it is sin. We're not, we're not meant to stay where we were. Every day, we are meant to walk towards Christ. This is that repentant lifestyle that I'm talking about. We should not be living lives as defeated Christians where we're always repentant from the same sin over and over and over. You know, 1 John, I don't have it on the screen. 1 John says, I'm writing this to you so you don't sin. But if you sin, notice how he says if. He didn't say when. Talking to the believers. He says, if you sin, guess what? You're good. Don't worry. We have an advocate with the Father. That's Jesus Christ who's at the right hand of God. So, A, don't sin. B, you might get tripped up. If you get tripped up, you have an advocate. You're good. Run back to him. Run back to him. Godly sorrow leads to repentance. Worldly sorrow leads to death. Look at Peter. Look at Judas. Peter had repentance to God. Judas had worldly sorrow, led to a suicide. That wasn't God's will. He didn't want Judas to do that, but he did not get into godly sorrow, and it led to his demise. God is so good. So moving on here, worship team can make their way up. The whole heart of what I'm talking about here is remaining tender before God. I would say probably the deadliest trap you can find yourself in is pride. I'm good, God. Especially the, especially the ones who have been in the faith for a long time. Like, yeah, I know God. Yeah, we're good. You know, it was Satan's pride that threw him to hell. We have never reached all of the knowledge of Christ. Every single day, it is a learning process. And he's so willing. He's so ready to give it. 
He's so ready to give you his knowledge and his wisdom. And he, he proved it by giving you his Holy Spirit. You have the mind of Christ, is what scripture says. From glory to glory, we are to look more and more and more like Jesus. Just to kind of reiterate a little bit, when it comes to sin and when you gave your life to Christ, remember, all sin was forgiven. All sin was covered, okay? You don't have to, as it says in Hebrews, bring a sacrifice year over year over year over year over year. It was one sacrifice for all. It was, it was done, okay? And I think a good way of putting it, I actually, I, I believe, and I, I don't want to say I heard it from him because I can't remember if I'm actually botching it or if I'm not. So, but I called it positional holiness and behavior holiness. I don't, if that's where I got it from, I don't want to do him injustice if I was wrong. So, but I think, it, I think it portrays it so well. Positional holiness versus behavior holiness, two types. And like I said, that positional holiness is who we are in Christ Jesus. Currently, that is fixed. And I love Hebrews. This is awesome. I, I, there's a lot of verses that allude to this, but I think this one really hits it on the head and sums it up all together, puts it in a nice package. Hebrews 10, 14 says, for by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. That's weird. What? He has perfected those who are being made perfect. <laughs> you cannot be perfect and be unholy. That doesn't make sense. Because part of perfection is complete holiness. So what does he mean that by one sacrifice he's made perfect forever those who are being made holy? There's a present state of where you stand in Christ Jesus. You are perfect. Colossians says that you are pure, perfect, and blameless without a single fault. So how can I be pure, perfect, and blameless without a single fault, but I'm still being made holy? Because that's the positional holiness versus the behavior holiness. Spiritual holiness is your positional holiness. Physical holiness, for lack of better terms, is your behavior holiness. This one sacrifice, as we know clearly, this is the death of Jesus. So we're made perfect in Christ, but there's this thing called sanctification. It's a day-by-day working out our salvation with fear and trembling is what scripture says. People have abused that, unfortunately, what that means. But by one sacrifice, we've made holy. And like I said, there's a lot of other verses that talk about this. But your position as son and daughter of God Almighty right there should lead you to repentance. What people a lot of times do is they do behavior before they understand their position. So they somehow think actually by their behavior, it determines their position when it's actually the flip side. It's your position that should determine your behavior. So if I am a son of God, if you are a daughter of Christ, a son of God, then live from that point. We are to live as Christians from the inside out. God says, worship him in spirit and in truth. God is spirit, worship him in spirit. 
And so how do I worship him in spirit? God, I'm righteous before you. When you died, does your body go or does your spirit go? Your spirit goes. My spirit is right before Christ and that's actually who I am. This is just a shell. This thing's gonna be done away with eventually. Paul says it's tent. It's just our dwelling place here on earth, but it's not Jake. It's just what we see. So if we live from who we are, if we are a royal priestly family, which we are, Hebrews talks about it, then live like one. If we are son or daughter of the most high king, the prince of peace, the ultimate, the never ending, the infinite, then live like that. Be holy as he is holy. Our position when we accept Christ is as holy as Jesus. He says that. But our behavior now needs to reflect that. God has called us into ultimate holiness. And now why? So I've received Christ, but now why do I go on and I start living like this? Well, A, hopefully this should be the answer because you love God. That should be the ultimate. God loves us. We know love because he loves us. And God, I'm giving it all back to you because you did everything for me. But then also, sin wages war against you. And it wants to pull you out of your relationship with Christ. It hates you. It wants to murder you. It has nothing good for you. Don't toy with it. And it wants to pull you out and pull you away from Jesus so that you don't even have a relationship with him anymore. When we understand that, why would we ever even toy with that? The fear of the Lord is to hate sin. We are to hate sin. Not the sinner, sin. It's a spiritual battle. Take your eyes off the person. Our battle's not against flesh and blood. It's a spiritual battle. Hate sin. We should. Live from the royal family that you are. Live from the royal family that you are a part of. Romans 8, 29 says, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And this is it right here, guys. This is what we are aiming for. This is what we are running for right here. Before this world was even breathed, spoken into existence, he had a plan for you to look like his son, Jesus. You want to know why you're on this earth? To look like Jesus. To literally be molded into his image. That's why they say image bearers. Represent Jesus. To look like him. And this is really the heart of what I'm getting at today. This is why I say this repentance is a continual thing. Because yes, anything that is trying to wage war against and, and anything that's not even necessarily sin, but it might not be part of the image you were designed for. And so what this looks like is a day by day, it's like I'm gonna get less and less and less away from the world and its systems and its confines and I'm gonna look more and more and more like Jesus. That's the heart. That's, that's Repentance. Turn from the ways you were never designed for and turn towards Jesus because you were meant to be conformed to his image. So when Jesus appears to you, 
when he gives you another ounce of his glory, another revelation of his word, another part of his goodness and his heart where you see him, the scales are removed like Paul's were, and you see Jesus more for who he is than you did before. How will you steward that? If you look all throughout the confines of Scripture, it's all about stewardship. It doesn't matter what level you have. If you are faithful with little, he can trust you with much. If you have a little bit of Jesus in regard to revelation of him, then you need to steward that well, and guess what? You'll gain more. He'll teach you more. You'll grow in him more. It's awesome. Don't look to someone who might seem like that, that spiritual hero and all of a sudden think, gosh, I'm not like him, so what does that mean for me? You can learn from their example. That's great. But you worry about the path God has you on. You stay in your own lane. Worry about that. And you steward well what he gives you. Take good care of it. Honor it. God, I thank you for this glimpse that you gave me, so therefore... I'm going to walk in it. God, you told me to leave this former life. You told me to leave this part that I wasn't even made for. So God, I'm going to repent and I'm going to turn towards you and that's going to come out in my outward actions so that I'm left with Jesus. It's repentance. Those who say they know Christ and are never changing, they, they don't know Christ. Call a spade a spade. You proclaim to love Jesus and there's no change going on in you, there's bigger questions at hand. And the other thing about it is we can't fool God. We can look holy, we can look righteous. God knows the heart and God knows what goes on behind closed doors. Those who say they know Christ and keep looking more and more like the world, they don't know Christ. But see, when the Holy Spirit comes in and he reveals more things. Hey, Jake, you shouldn't do that. Hey, let's get that right. Hey, now that you've seen a new aspect of God, let's change that way of thinking and let's move this way. Let's, let's chip away at this stuff. That's all clutter. You don't need it. Chip away at it. Mold it. Get it out so that all you're left with is more of Christ. And when he does that, will we walk towards that? Or will we go our own way? You steward that well, you'll walk towards it. Your life will be changed. You'll look different. If I, at 29, look the same exact as my 18-year-old self, I got issues. And I need help. But I'm telling you, that pulling can hurt, but it's so refreshing it's so good. Don't run from it. Embrace it. Take a pause. Take a moment and say, okay, God, this hurts right now, but I know you're cleaning me. You're cleansing me. I'm going to repent. I got to take a moment and put on this new mind. Because scripture already says I'm a new creation through Christ. So I'm going to take on this new mind, and now my actions are going to come from it. We're going to take some time here to worship. We're not going to rush this. We're good on time. We're going to take some time to worship, and this is going to be for all of us. We all need a repenting of something. 
I'm not even saying it's necessarily just sin. I believe there are people in here that, man, you just got a new aspect of God and you're like, wow, I can't believe I used to think that way. Great, repent from it, put on that new self. Put on that new mind, put on that new action, put on that new thought and start living that way. And really, that, this is what it's going to be. First question I do want to ask with heads, bows, and eyes closed. If you have never given your life to Christ, this is where we got to land before we move on anywhere else. If you've never given your life to Christ, this is new for you, you don't know who this Jesus is, but you decide it's time, I need to get my life right with Christ, then he is calling you to repent. He is calling you to turn from your old ways, turn from your old self, and now move into new freedom with him. New life with Jesus Christ. And if that's you and you've never done that before, all I ask is that, and you say, Jake, I want to today, then all I ask is that you just raise your hand. This is your moment, that's for sure. Uh, Can we have the prayer team come up here, please? People who are here for prayer, whoever was still here, it would be awesome. We're going to take some time to worship. We're going to take some time to just let the Lord minister to us. And, in, and really, that's, that's what I ask, is, is that if we have things that we need to repent from, things that we need to change our way, our thought, then this is your time. This is my time. And we're going to worship. And we got the prayer team up here. You can come in and receive prayer. Maybe it's a repentance from sin. Get right with God in that way. If you're a follower of Christ, you're already forgiven. Why would you run from it? Embrace it, grow in it, and enjoy his peace in your life because that's what's going to lead to you never walking in that sin again. His power, his majesty, his might, who he is, not your own will, not your own might, not your own strength. The Holy Spirit who lives on the inside of you is what's going to be your power free from sin. Jesus, our light. Don't ever let us do injustice to the light of who you are. Don't ever let us do that, God. Don't ever let us take you lackadaisical, half-heartedly. God, I pray you bring about a repentance that this church has never seen in all of us, God, because there's so much we don't know about you that we need to know about you. We cannot do this life without you, God. To think that we can be wise in our own eyes is insane. Jesus, cleanse us. Our actions our motives. He who started a good work will bring it to completion. The author, the perfecter of our faith. You started it, God, you'll finish it. And you perfect it. 
It's in your name that we live. It's in your name that we move. It's in your name that we have our being. We praise your name. Let us take this time in worship to adore you. And anything that we need to repent from, God, that we turn towards you in it, not away from you, but towards you. We love you, Jesus.